invite you to take your scriptures and turn to Matthew 6, we read earlier. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Everyone has struggled at one point with worry or anxiety. Question is, what makes you anxious? There's a survey taken, and a number of things were listed. Money makes people anxious. Taking care of their kids, will they have enough of it? Aging parents, and so on. People are worried about their future, being accepted by others, um, worried about going to the doctor, worried about a worldwide shortage of Mountain Dew. No, that's not on there. Um, Whether I'm truly living out God's purposes, losing control in some area of my life, being separated from my family is a deep concern, being able to find the right spouse, losing a spouse or a child, failing as a parent. Number one, though, on the list was they were worried about spending their life being alone. Anxiety is one of those problems in life that gives birth to all kinds of other problems. John Piper put it this way. He said, anxiety about money can make you hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding can make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn or indifferent toward other people. Anxiety about what others think about you can make you lie or stretch the truth. And then he says this, if anxiety could be conquered, it would strike a mortal blow to so many other sins in our lives. Jesus is very careful to tell us in this text that we read this morning where anxiety comes from. So I want to just tell you the concept in the heart of the passage, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. I believe Jesus would want us to know today that your anxiety is proportional to your faith. He tells the disciples that here's why you worry. One phrase, oh, you of little faith. In other words, if you have large worries, you will have little faith. And you can reverse that. You can have large faith and little worries, but they are proportionate to one another. In fact, I would go so, so far as to say that much anxiety stems from little faith. As you look at the scriptures, you can clearly see that the Bible does not assure that true believers of Jesus won't have any anxieties, but rather the Bible expects people who are Christians and followers of Jesus to know how to fight them off when they strike in our lives. The text can be easily broken down into three sections. There are three identical phrases in verses 25, if you look in your scriptures, in verse 31 and 34. And they're identical. Therefore, do not worry. Or therefore, do not be anxious. One, two, three. It's the framework of the text. The word worry or anxiety um, is used six times. uh, Three more times in addition in verses 27, 28, and 34. And in the text, Jesus talks about worry and faith simultaneously. Because he wants to teach you and me this morning about how we can fight against the unbelief of anxiety. 
And the way that we do it is through the Word of God, and more specifically, the promises of God. One author I read said, battling anxiety in your life is like when you get mud thrown on your windshield. I don't know if you've ever been traveling down the highway and you're going behind a 16-wheeler or something, and it's raining and it's muddy and they throw all this junk on your windshield. I used to have, um, years ago, I had someone give me a car. I didn't have the money, and, or it was my wife, I'm too cheap to buy a good one. And so I had this windshield wiper, and one of them kind of worked, and the other one didn't go all the way across. And it was the driver's side windshield. So it would go like, kind of like halfway, and then it would kind of like fall backwards. It wasn't very good. So I'm behind on a very stormy day, and it's throwing all this mud and this, and this stuff on my windshield. And got to the place where I had to stop and pull on the side of the road and get a towel out of the trunk and wipe it off because I couldn't see anything. And on top of it, not only was my wiper not working right, but I tried to push the little button and there was no fluid left. And so imagine that. So Jesus says, you know, when life circumstances throw mud, throws mud on the windshield of your heart and mind, what are you going to do? Well, you should be able to have the wipers of the word, if I could say it that way, or the fluid of faith. You've got to have that stuff on your life so that you can clearly see what God says and how to respond to those things in your life. And in this section, there is a gigantic promise that God gives to us that bolsters our faith. And you know the verse. In fact, most time we really emphasize the first half of it. But 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then it says, and here's the promise. All these things will be added unto you. So you put God and his kingdom first. You make every situation a God issue. You put his kingdom, his rule, his reign, your aim and everything that you do. And here's the promise. He will add these things, these basics, these things that you need in life. Interesting, the word in the Greek language for add is the word we get in English, prosthetic. Is that when you have lost a limb, they give you a prosthetic. And the word prosthetic means to add. To add a limb that you don't have. God says, I know there are times in your life that you don't have certain things. He says, if you seek my kingdom and my righteousness first, he says, I will add those things to you. Similar pattern in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, which the command is, God says this, don't be anxious about anything. You almost want to say, seriously? I mean, about nothing? I mean, you know how many problems I have? Have you looked at my bills? Have you looked at things on my calendar? But here's what God says. How in the world? Don't be anxious about anything, and then the contrast, but in everything. See, don't do this ever, but always do this. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And then in the text, the, verse 19 gives the promise. But my God shall supply all your needs. See, here's what God says. You seek me first. When you have a problem, when you have a concern, when you have a worry, when anxiety begins to build up in your life, here's what you do. You get on your knees and you seek me first. You don't go for favors. Don't pull in those things that you know, people are going to do for you. It's not about who you know. It's not about how you can manipulate things or coerce people to help you. No, he goes, seek me first. Get on your knees. And then the promise that I will add these things unto you. See, this morning you may be here, and you've been driving down the road in your life for quite a while, and the wiper isn't working. 
and you've run out of fluid. And listen, there's a lot of mud on the windshield. Maybe it's marriage mud. Maybe it's financial mud, health issue mud. I mean, it's a lot of it. Let me tell you this. And if you don't have God's word to keep your heart and mind clear, to keep it clear so that you can see what God's doing in your life and what he'd have you do, see, it's easy, in fact, to get off the road. It's act, it's, you're going to put yourself, listen to this, and others in danger. So how can I, Pastor Walker, how can I fight anxiety and have the proportion to be this, a bigger faith in small worries, not the other way around? Where in the text, he's going to tell us three things, three ways that we can fight anxiety with faith. The first is this in verses 25 through 30. You fight anxiety by believing God about what matters most in life. Verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, here's the first one, don't be anxious about your life. Not about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, nor about your body and what you'll put on. Is life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Write this principle down in your heart at least, if not on paper. We worry about what matters most to us. We worry about what matters most to us. As I'm speaking right now, Rafa Nadal is playing in the French Open tennis tournament. He's my favorite player. And I really want him to win today. But I can tell you this, I didn't stay up last night worrying about it. It didn't keep me from sleeping really hard. And it didn't keep me, I didn't get up this morning and go, oh, I got to go between Sunday school and church and check out what the score is. You know why? Because it matters to me, but it doesn't matter that much. Can I tell you another one? I don't lose sleep over the color of my hair, nor the amount of my hair. I would like, don't get me wrong, I like hair. I really do. I like having hair. Um, But I don't get up every morning and look in the mirror and say, oh, I start counting them. I think I have a few less. And they're whiter than they were before. And there's no dark ones anymore. No, I, you know, I don't lose sleep over it. You know why? It matters, but it doesn't matter that much. Look at Jesus starts. Verse 25. See it? Therefore. Why does, he say it that, why does he say that first word, therefore? Because he's talking about verse 24. About either God being your master or money being your master. Hear me. If you are worried this morning as I'm talking, and you're thinking about your concerns and anxieties, I can tell you this, most probably they are related to money. About how you're going to get more of it. Or how you're going to keep from losing it in your life. Or how you're going to use it. How you're going to cover this bill and pay that mortgage and that college thing going on. And that credit card that you owe. See, if money matters most to you, it is going to cause severe worry and anxiety in your life. And you could be here this morning and you're worried about it. You're worried about whether they're going to maybe kick you out of your apartment, repossess your car. And we can worry about those things. But here's what Jesus says. Let me get to the core issue of your life. See, here's what he says. I want to go after the stuff that is the deepest in your life. What you really want, what's most important to you, he says. And then he asks all these questions because he's going to ask questions because he doesn't want you to stay there. So he says to us, isn't your life more than this? 
I mean, is this really what life is all about? Is it just about food? Is it just about drink? Is it just about clothing? Now, listen, listen. Jesus is not saying that food and drink and clothing don't matter. He is not saying that money and having to pay your bills doesn't matter. It matters. Here's the key, though. It just doesn't matter the most, he says. In fact, he goes so far as to say, look at verse 27. In the text, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, in other words, what's the value of anxiety? Can you add, he says, a single hour to your span of life? Can you live an hour longer than I have appointed you? And the answer is, no, you can't. Worry accomplishes, ready? Nothing. Nothing. Worry can't change anything. So here's what Jesus would say this morning. Don't allow money and stuff and all the things that are connected to it to matter most in your life. For some of you, you have to have a second job and you have to take the overtime on Sunday for some people and work all the time and you miss out on your family and you can't be with your wife. And here's why. Because you have too many bills and too many credits and you have to work at paying them off. Why? Because money has become too much in your life. Too important in your life. And you have to have your kid in this school, and you have to have this kind of car, and they have to have this brand name clothing. And you, ha- you know why? Because those things have mattered too much. See, here's what the kingdom message is. Let Jesus matter the most. Let him matter. Let God be the most important person and thing in your life. And you, if you're doubting this morning whether that's true, hear what I would say, parents, Go home today and at the lunch table, sit down with your children, they're older, and ask them this. Tell me truthfully, what do you think matters most in our family? Ask your kids. Tell them they won't be in trouble if they tell you the truth. And and let what your kids tell you, let your kids tell you what they say really matters most in your family. Not what you pretend to or deceive yourself into believing. Husbands, go home this afternoon and over lunch and ask your wife, What do you think really matters most to me? Wives, ask your husbands, what do you think really matters most to me? So Jesus says this, if you want to fight the sin of unbelief expressed by worry, here's what you have. You have to believe that when God says there's more to life than those things, especially those things connected to money, that you have to believe that's true. Secondly, he says in verses 31 through 33, he says you fight anxiety by believing that God's kingdom comes first. And then he says a second one in verse 31, therefore do not worry. And here's how it expresses itself. Look at verse 31. He says, don't worry. And then he says saying, and the word saying is continual tense. And that just is so much to say this, as this is what kind of things that you're coming out your mouth all the time. So let me explain it to you. He would say this. Here's how worry says. What am I going to eat? Oh, no. What am I, it's, this is like throwing up your hands and panicking. What am I going to eat? How are we going to do this? I don't know how this is going to work. And you get frantic about it. You ever do that? Now, first century, 95% of everybody was poor. And so what food they were going to get that day, and if they are going to drink water and have enough clothes. See, those, those aren't our problems, by and large. I don't know about you. I'm not worried about what I'm doing for lunch today. I'm just worrying about what it's going to be. I got enough clothes in my closet, don't you? 
I got water. I got water for the sink and the shower and, the, and whatever else. Those aren't my problems. 21st century problems are quite a bit different. But here's what Jesus says. But the danger of anxiety is still as real. It's just as real. And it's easy to go around and say this. Oh, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to pay this bill? I've got two payments to make now because I'm one behind. And how am I going to do And how am I? And what am I going to And we get frantic. He says, don't worry like that. Don't walk around and be frantic. And listen, listen, here's why, he says. Look at the text. For the Gentiles, verse 32, seek after these things. Now, this is going to be hard to hear, but ready? When you walk around as a Christian... And you're worrying and talking about all the time, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to get this. And what about this? Here's what you're saying. Is this not ridiculous? I serve a God who could love me, redeem me from my sin, loose the bonds of Satan and the shackles of sin in my life. He could rescue me from hell and give me heaven as my home. He can forgive all my sins, past, present, future, give me eternal life. But he can't see me through today and tomorrow. That's crazy, isn't it? But you know what the truth is? Here's what Jesus says. When you act like that, and you respond to your worries like that, you're acting like a lost person. Do you see what he says? That's what the Gentiles do. The word Gentiles, or that phrase, the Gentiles, used five times in the Gospel of Matthew, and every single time Jesus uses it as a contrast to what Christians should not be like. Don't be like the Gentiles, leadership-wise, who lord it over you and power over. See, he goes, it shall not be so among you. Don't be like them. Don't pray like them. Don't greet people who only like you like them. Don't lead like them. Don't be like them because you're a follower of me. Can I tell you, that's what the issue about worry makes it so serious. It's because when you worry and you get frantic and you get anxious and you don't trust God, you're acting like you're lost. Like you don't even know God. And in verse 32, look at the two little reasons why he says that. For Gentiles seek after these things. See the little word for? For the Gentiles seek after and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, he says. Don't worry about these things because you have a heavenly father. So let me say it to you straight. Worry is what people do who don't have a heavenly father. Do you have a heavenly father? If so, then we shouldn't be worrying. In fact, I wrote on my notes, a worrying Christian is an oxymoron. You know what that means? Those two words don't go together. They don't go together. Worrying and Christian are antithetical. Why? Because we have a heavenly father. You could say it this way, that the kingdom of God is a no-worry zone. A no-worry, you don't have to worry here. And he tells you why. For your father knows that you need all these things. And when you worry, you're acting as if God is oblivious to what you're going through. As if somehow he's ignorant. And you need to inform him. And sometime, somehow the reason that you're not getting your needs met is because somehow God really doesn't care. See, you're, you're indicting and making statements about who God is. That's what non-Christians do. That's not what Jesus' followers do. 
You have a heavenly father. That's why Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him, 1 Peter 5, you know why? Because it matters to him about you. Christians know this. I have a heavenly father who knows all my needs and he cares about me. See, can I tell you this principle? What you know should control what you don't know. You might be here this morning and you said, I don't know about the future, Pastor Walker, and it really bothers me. The uncertainty of what this is going to bring this week, this month, this next year. See, I don't know about the future, but you can say this, but I do know who holds the future. We sing that song. I don't know if I have enough money to pay this bill, but I do know that my heavenly father owns a cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalmist says. I don't know if I can meet this need, but I do know that God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, worry isn't ruled out for the Christian because we stop having needs, but because we have a heavenly father who knows all of our needs and can meet every single one of them. Have you ever heard of the word catastrophist? A catastrophist is a word that means someone who always sees the worst possible scenario you could be. And they project it into the future, and even though it hasn't happened yet, they're absolutely sure it's going to take place. A guy named Michael DeMontague said this, My life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. There's a book out there called The End of Stress. And in it, subjects were uh, asked to write down all their worries over an extended period of time of a year. At the end of the year, everyone that was on the list got together and shared the entire list of all their worries. And after going through all of them, here was the configuration. Out of all the worries, 85% of them never happened. 85%. And the remaining 15%, people who took them and wrote them down said they were able to handle them far better than they ever thought that would ever happen. Did you ever got one of those little books? I think it's one of those little yellow ones. It's kind of a paperback. It's called Worst Case Scenario. If you are a worry person, please don't get that book. (laughs) Because you'll believe every scenario is going to happen to you but in it they have they have one if you if your car goes off the road and into the water and you get submerged under it here's how you do it you immediately roll the windows down try to get the door open a little bit beforehand don't panic you know make sure you get your safety belt off let the water completely go to the top of your the door and then you'll be able to open the uh, the ceiling and then the wind the doors will open easier they tell you all these things about what to do what do you do if you face a grizzly bear don't run because the, no, i'm not gonna tell you the rest of that but if you run, don't run here's what you do instead fall down on the ground blah, blah, and they give you all these scenarios in it but you're, you're reading that and thinking you know i would never remember any of those things and if this ever happens to me i'm dead because you know what we think Oh, that's how I think about everything. Worst case scenario. Oh, this is going to, yeah, I know what's going to happen. Immediately I know what's going to happen. This is the worst. And you imagine the worst thing possible. And you can't stay up. You're staying up late at night. You you cry over it. And it never happens. See, that's what people who don't have a heavenly father do. And that's why, watch, in the text, grammatically, verse 32 and verse 33 are contrast because both of them have the verb seek in it. He says, see, The Gentiles seek after, see, they are after the outside stuff. 
See, Gentiles want the food, the clothing. Can I modernize it? See, Gentiles are after the money, the house, the car, the phone, the vacations, the retirement, the pension. See, see, Gentiles do that. But see, that's why verse 33 starts with the word but. See, what you seek and what Gentiles seek, different. Gentiles seek outside stuff first. Christians, on the other hand, seek inside stuff first. Look at verse 33. But, not you, but seek first the kingdom of God. Watch. And his righteousness. What have we learned about righteousness? It's not just the external things that we do that are religiously right. No, what have we learned about righteousness? Our righteousness has to exceed the Pharisees. And what kind is that? It's an inside-out righteousness. So what's the difference between lost people and Christians in their pursuits? Lost people think what's on the outside, money and everything with it and all those things, that's what matters most. But for the Christian, it's the inside things. It's God and morality and purity and godliness and loving people and living out the radically reversed kingdom value system that Jesus proposes. See, that's the difference. They are outside oriented. We are inside oriented. Can I say it this way? Christians have a different first than they do. A different first So the answer to why you worry so much might be the answer to this question. What is your first? See, is it your boyfriend, teenagers, or your girlfriend, or how you look and everyone thinks that you're thin and muscular and pretty and that's your identity or the job you have, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, how people think of you and how you come across at church? And what? See, if that's your first, you are going to live a life of being crushed by anxiety, absolutely crushed by it. But if you live rather from the inside out, it'll be a completely different story. See, worry happens when the outside takes precedence over the inside. And can I tell you this? That's our culture. We are so concerned about image today and how we look And what people think of us. And very few care little about who you really are on the inside. So here's what Jesus says. You want to fight anxiety? You have to fight it with faith. You have to believe what is really most important in life. You have to believe that the kingdom comes first, secondly. And then lastly, he says this in verse 34. You fight anxiety by believing that God is enough for you every single day. Look at the text. Therefore, last time, do not be anxious. About what? About tomorrow. Can I tell you this? It is the biggest worry that anyone has. What about tomorrow? And we ask it in so many different ways, don't we? What will my children be like tomorrow? Will they be okay? What will my health be about like tomorrow? You know, I have this problem and it's getting worse and I'm getting older. Will the money kick in so that I can pay for my bills and get the pills that I need? What about my finances? 
How long am I going to have to work? What if I get sick and I can't work? What about the last 10 years of my life, 20 years of my life? What will become of my marriage? Is it going to make it? What about tomorrow? Jesus says, don't we worry for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. In other words, tomorrow's got a whole other set of worries of its own. And so we sing today on purpose, he whose heart is kind beyond all measure, listen, gives unto each day what he deems best. Can I tell you, our view of tomorrow is this, it's under control. God is on the throne, so let's adore him. Isn't that what we're saying? Can we behold God on his throne? See, he's in control. He's doing in your life and in mine what he deems best. Great is thy faithfulness. Another awesome hymn says this. Each day the Lord himself is near me. Each day to give me a special mercy, listen, for each hour. God has got it down to the day, to the hour, to the minute, to the second. He has it all under control. He's sovereign. See, you know what that means? That the worries I have today are limited by God. He controls them. See, that's important because you know what worry comes from? The feeling that I'm out of control. That I can't handle these things. That I can't handle the finances, my marriage, my kids, the car got a, it broke down. And you, it just piles up, doesn't it? And I don't know how, and you begin to ring, see, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then he says, don't keep saying that stuff. And we start acting like lost people. As if God doesn't know, as if God doesn't care, as if God isn't in control. That's the danger of worry, he says. Sufficient for the day. Enough is the idea. Enough for the day is its own trouble. It's enough. God says, there'll be troubles tomorrow, and so will my mercies be there tomorrow. It's like manna in the wilderness. When the Israelites could not, God gave them manna, they couldn't gather a bunch of it up. They could do it one day at a time. If they gathered it up and tried to store it for the next day, it turned into worms. And and the Bible says, and it stunk. They thought that they could just store up God's mercies and manna. Listen, God's mercies are for today. And let me warn you, if you continue to need to feel today the strength for tomorrow, you will be crushed by the pressures of anxiety. You will be. But it's not until you believe and have the faith to trust God, say, God, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but when it comes, there'll be mercies for that. And there'll be mercies for that. And there'll be strength for that and power for that and and power for that and difficulties will come, but you'll have that worked out too and it'll all come around to do your bidding and your will. So let me ask you, how does the fight with anxiety going? Are you fighting it from the outside in or from the inside out? How would I know, Pastor Walker? Do nothing by anxiety, but everything by prayer. We're going to do that today. We're going to sing a song as we close in our service, He Will Hold Me Fast, because that's where it all stems from. And then after the service is over and we're done singing that song, all I'm going to ask you to do is if you would like to seek God and His kingdom first, would you just come forward in the front? 
um, as everyone else may be leaving, but you come forward and we're just going to pray about what matters to you because we're going to do this tomorrow, today. We're going to seek God's first, his kingdom and his righteousness, and we're going to pray and ask him to work through our mercies with our problems with his mercies and give him the glory. So let's stand together. Dave's going to come and he's going to lead us in a song, He Will Hold Me Fast. I fear when I fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold, he must hold me fast, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. he saves. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him such a cause he will hold me fast he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so he will hold me fast and for my life he bled Christ will hold me fast Justice has been satisfied He will hold me fast Raised with Him to endless life He will hold me fast Till our faith has turned to sight When He comes at last hold me. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Savior in Jesus, who holds us fast, even as we walk anxious, ridden, and worry-filled, fearful paths that you're always there and you hold us up and you hold our hands and you're there with us every step of the way.
Father, may this morning we cast our burdens on you and seek your face that we might learn to put you first and your kingdom first, that what we can't see is always more important than what we can see. May that be the guiding principle of our lives as we make choices to make you matter the most in our lives. And we'll thank you for that rich blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.